Good morning again, everyone. Welcome to In Town. We're so glad to have you in worship this Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday. Uh, this begins the, the Holy Week, one of the, the highest, greatest moments in the Christian calendar, and I hope that you'll take advantage not only of this morning, but also some of the other uh, events that we have going on, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then, of course, Easter Sunday. And we will conclude one more this morning and then on Sunday our series on the scandal of the cross. And this morning we're looking at uh, Matthew chapter 21. You can follow along in your bulletin. This is the gospel reading. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with their colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth praise? And he left them and went out to the city to Bethany where he spent the night. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. On May 29th, 2006, mud began to bubble up in an Indonesian rice paddy. And no one knows exactly what happened or why. There was a recent earthquake and there had been mining and drilling in the area, but something happened that unleashed this mud that began to bubble up, not just a little, but 16 are 6.4 million cubic feet of mud per day. Now, cubic feet is difficult to imagine, so imagine 13 Olympic-sized swimming pools bubbling up through this one place in the ground. Over the course of the next week, four square miles of East Java was covered in mud, consuming whole villages and displacing 40,000 people. And it still hasn't stopped since 2006. And even today, six to 700,000 cubic feet are pouring out, and scientists estimate that it may last for another 20 to 30 years. Even with all of our modern technology, 
We can't do anything about it. It's an unstoppable force. Now, previously to Palm Sunday, previous to Palm Sunday, in Jesus' ministry, he wasn't about splashy entrances or grand gestures. In fact, he often asked people not to go and tell what he had done for them. He would heal people and then would say, don't go tell your family. You know how that ended up. Crowds would attempt to anoint him as king, and he would quietly slip away. But in this entrance into Jerusalem, Jesus takes every possible symbol, all of these various threads in the Old Testament, and he begins to tie them and attach them to himself. He is clearly identifying he and his ministry to all the pent-up hope and all of the promises in the Old Testament, all of the dreams that Israel had for Messiah, the one who would come and rescue them from exile. He is saying he is the one. Palm Sunday, you see, is the time in Jesus' ministry where something radically changes. In moving into the city of Jerusalem and the way that he does it, he is saying that he cannot be ignored. He cannot be explained away. He cannot be disregarded or tuned out. He comes into Jerusalem as an unstoppable force. And Matthew tells us that the whole town was stirred. I want to do something a little bit different this morning in our approach to the sermon. I want to unpack what Matthew is telling us simply by looking at the different characters or set pieces for this scene, this powerful scene, and then hopefully at the end try to ascertain what message Matthew is telling us through these characters. Well, first of all, I'm sure you noticed, and Zechariah told us about it too as we read the Old Testament passage, that there's this donkey, a donkey is pretty prominent in this scene. Now, if you're coming into a city as an anointed king, then a donkey is probably the last animal that you ride in on. You know, rhinosaurus, rhinos, rhinosaurus. It came out right when I was practicing. Rhinoceros. Or an elephant. You know, one of those powerful, big, Donkeys aren't associated with power or victory. Victorious kings ride into conquered city on cities on war horses. So what is Jesus trying to tell us? Why a donkey? Why this strange little beast? Well, think about when our president travels abroad. How does he go? Air Force One, advanced teams, snipers on the roof, lots of planning, lots of multiple decoy vehicles, all armored which then lead to state dinners and tuxedos and photo ops and hundreds of staff and hundreds of photographers and lots of photos. So imagine him instead going to a country where he's trying to establish some kind of peace accord. And instead of coming in on Air Force One, he lands and he walks. And he walks through the city. And he goes to meet with the religious, political, military, cultural leaders simply on foot, without an entourage, without a retinue of people. Either he's crazy or he's saying, I don't need an entourage. I don't need sharpshooters. I don't need a court and staff and attendance and pomp and circumstances. I'm here to meet with you, and I'm content to arrive in the lowliest of ways. In a strange way, this act of 
humility would be the ultimate sign of power. He's unassailable. He doesn't need all of the symbolic stuff to say that he is powerful. He in, of, in and of himself. So Jesus doesn't ride in with bodyguards or on war horses with swords swinging. He comes in in a meek and in a humble manner. We see the donkey, first of all, as a major character, but the city and the temple both are characters as well. This march into the city of Jerusalem begins a week in Jesus' life that all the gospel writers give inordinate amount of time to. You know, we don't know a whole lot about Jesus' childhood. We know next to nothing about his adolescence. We don't get details about his work as a carpenter. The first decades of his life, we have very scant information. And yet Matthew gives almost eight chapters of his gospel to this one week. Luke gives six. John, the gospel of John, devotes nearly half of his gospel to this one week. They're saying, look, readers, this is important. What is going on beginning here at Palm Sunday is important. And the symbolism here goes back very deep into the Old Testament. The movement of God's people out of uh, exile, out of Egypt, and through the wilderness and into the promised land. And then the setting up of the Israelite king and kingdom. In a dramatic fashion, Jesus is recapitulating that story. And he's coming not only to the seat of of political power, but he's coming to Israel where the temple was. This was the sign of God's presence with Israel. He is with them because of this building. They know that God is for them and loves them because they have this temple in God's holy city in Jerusalem. And Jesus comes and goes directly to the temple to cleanse it and to claim it. To say this is his temple, this is his throne room. No one would have missed the symbolism there. He is saying that you know now that God is with you, not because of a building, but you know God is with you because God himself is with you in the person of Jesus. He's recapitulating this entire journey that Israel had been on, and he is saying it concludes and is fulfilled in him. And notice, who streams in? Who recognizes it most powerfully and receives it? The lame, the blind, and children. Children. Those without cultural status, those without stature or worth, those who are overlooked, they come to Jesus. They want to be a part of his kingdom, where they have belonging, where they have worth, The king recognizes and receives and defends them. says, these are the people who see. It is the blind, those without eyes, who actually see Jesus, and they see who he is. Those with eyes do not. Children, those who are inconveniences to the the power structure and to grown-up, sophisticated religion, they receive a place at the center. They are the ones who worship. The lame Religious rejects, those who couldn't come into the temple, they come now to the temple of Jesus. They come and recognize him, and he heals them. Those who are seen as a curse by God come to God's Son, and he heals them. So we see also the character 
of the song, the song. And this is from Psalm 118 that we read. Hosanna, Hosanna to God in the highest. You didn't know that you knew Hebrew, but that's Hebrew. Hosanna is a Hebrew word. And it's this word that is freighted with meaning because it means actually God saves. But it's a cry of the heart. And it's also an acknowledgement that that is happening now before our eyes. It is a hope and a wish and a call, but it's also a recognition that it is only God who can save. And they say that as Jesus comes in because God is there. He is actually in the middle of rescuing them. It is happening right before their eyes. And what they are saying and saying, Hosanna, is that this has been our cry and our hope for thousands of years. God, would you come? God, would you save us? Would you be true to who you say you are? In Egypt, this was the cry of slaves. God, save us. Hosanna. And then they come and they spend time in the desert wandering and aimless. God, Hosanna, would you come? And then they enter into the land and they get this monarchy that is split and is unfulfilling and unhelpful. Hosanna. And then they go into exile and the cry continues. And then they return to the land. Hosanna to God in the highest. God, save us, rescue us, be for us who we know you to be. So when Jesus comes to town, when he comes to Jerusalem, they recognize this. And they pick up on this cry that has been present in the Old Testament, present in Israel for a thousand or fifteen hundred years. And they say, Hosanna to the Son of David, the true king comes. He is here. It is here. The lame get it. The blind get it. Children get it. The crowds are starting to get it. He's the king who's come to rule, to establish his reign, to come and take the seat in his throne room. But he's also the priest who will come to make atonement for Israel, to make atonement for anyone who would come. The one who will go to the cross making the final sacrifice. No need for future sacrifice. Debts canceled. Prisoners set free. Sinners invited in. And then he comes also as the prophet who will proclaim the day of the Lord's favor, the day where real Hosanna is realized. And he is saying that all of these offices, prophet, priest, and king, which all were important pieces of the Old Testament, he is saying they are fulfilled in him. On Palm Sunday, you see, everyone gets to see who Jesus really is. No more small malt small ball. No more, don't tell anyone. His time isn't present, but he rides in on a donkey to the very center of religious and cultural life in Israel, and he announces his kingship. He's an unstoppable force. But there's one more character, and this character is the immovable object. For you physics nerds out there, the the irresistible force paradox. How does this happen? I actually spent time on YouTube last night watching a lot of people write on whiteboards and what happens and watched a scene from The Dark Knight where Joker is the irresistible force and Batman is the immovable object and what is going to happen when these two things collide? And even though according to 
Einsteinian physics, they would pass right through each other. That doesn't work for my metaphor, for my illustration. So we're going to talk about them in terms of collision and what would happen. One final character who is the immovable object, and these are, or that is, the religious power uh, brokers, the religious leaders. They began, began to be angry at the children. Why? Because the children get it. The children are delighting in the new king, and they understand what that means. They understand that if Jesus is established as king, that their reign is over, that the status quo can no longer happen or no longer stay. These children sing Hosanna, and they are going to oppose it at all costs. The unstoppable force meets the immovable object of the religious establishment. So maybe we should ask... Where do we fit in this morning? Are we with the crowds? Are we with the lame? Are we with the blind? Are we with the children who are singing Hosanna to the Son of David? Jesus is Him. Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is my King. Are we with Him? Are we with them saying those things? Or are we immovable objects? Are we resisting Jesus because of our own religious establishment in our lives? Because This is how I do things, and I don't want to change. I'm going to continue trying to reach to God, trying to earn my way to Him, trying to make Him approve of me. Are we immovable objects? Or maybe even we're not intentionally immovable objects, but we have some things in our lives that feel that way, that feel immovable. There are situations or patterns in our lives that don't seem to ever change. And so we're wondering, does Hosanna have anything to do with this pattern in my life? Can it move? We have relationships that seem to be just in a constant, constantly in a state of stress. No matter how hard we try to resolve them, they seem immovable. Personal enemies that we imagine that are gloating over our misfortune, and and we can't ignore them. We have sort of a gravitational entanglement with them. We can't stop that pattern. We have fears that wake us up in the middle of the night and steal our sleep from us. Well, here's what Palm Sunday tells us, that there is no such thing as an immovable object in your life. There's no such thing. Nothing can ultimately stand in Jesus' way. And just as he was on the move towards Jerusalem on that day many years ago, he's on the move this morning towards you, towards your life, towards the immovable objects in your life that prevent the cry and the celebration of Hosanna. That mud volcano in Indonesia began spewing mud at 6.4 million cubic feet a day. That's hard to even get your head around. And original estimates had indicated that it would continue for a hundred years or more. We don't even know. Nothing could stop it. You could only get out of its way. But yet, that's not true because it's diminished. And now estimates are that it's maybe 30, maybe 15 years, and it's down to only six or 700,000 cubic feet a day. Still a lot, still powerful, but very much less so, losing its power. And it will eventually wind down because there's only so much pent-up pressure, only so much 
mud that can come out of the ground. Friends, so much of what is going on in our lives, so much of what is going on in our church, so much of what is going on in our family life often feels unstoppable or immovable to realign our metaphors to the illustration. But the only truly unstoppable force in our lives is God himself. And he comes to Jerusalem, the city that kills its prophets. He marches into the city as a conquering king who will die for his people. He lets evil do its worst to him. And like that pent-up mud under the ground that is powerful And when you're standing near it, you can't avoid it and you have to run out of the way. It eventually runs down and it eventually turns into a trickle. And what Jesus does on the cross is he lets evil expend itself on him. He lets it run down to where it loses its power. He lets all the forces of evil and oppression and fear and self-righteousness and exclusion expend themselves on him. They run down as they lay claim to his life. And what we see is that Palm Sunday turns to that, to Good Friday, but then it turns to Easter. It turns to Easter. He rises again and he says that he is more powerful than all of those destructive forces. He's more powerful than all the things in your life that feel immovable. You see, not only Not even death could stand against him. Death is the ultimate immovable object in all of our lives, and he conquers it. He rises again to say he is more powerful than that. Death itself is moved. Death itself is conquered because Jesus is the unstoppable force. Now, if you believe that, if that's your hope, if that's your celebration, when you actually show up next Sunday, if you claim that as your own, you have no reason to believe that he can't bring resurrection in your own life, in your own patterns, your relationships, your own fears that wake you up. Are they really immovable? If Jesus conquered death, if he's the unstoppable force, could he change those patterns in your life, those patterns of thought that make you so fearful, that wake you up at night. Of course, they're complex things, and that's why it takes time. Could he rescue you from your own demands that seem to take ownership of your life, that seem to be simply there to stay? Yes. Yes, he can. Palm Sunday tells us he can. And Hosanna is the the cry of faith that God saves. It's the cry of the heart and a hope and a wish, but it's also the statement of defiance, of saying God is doing this now. He is in my presence. He is in my life. It is happening in right before our eyes, and I will choose to live today as if that is the case. Hosanna. For those of you who are here that if you're considering faith, if you're wondering who Jesus is and wondering how this all makes sense and if it fits together, well, this is the crux. This is the very center. It's Hosanna. 
It's saying that I can't save myself. I can't rescue myself. I can't get out of the problems that my life has created for, for, for me and that others have created on my behalf. I need God to rescue me. But for those of us who may be decades into the, into the faith, we're really at the same exact place, recommitting to Hosanna as the very center of our faith, recognizing that you need an unstoppable force in your life to rescue you. We're saying, I can't move these immovable objects. They are too powerful. They are too big. They're too heavy. I can't push them. But with Hosanna, we are asking, we are appealing that Jesus would, that he would step in. And Palm Sunday is a joyful time because it rests upon trust. You see, you can have joy in the midst of a trial if you have a friend or a person or a counselor or a spouse who is there with you and who cries with you and sits next to you and allows you to be free with what you're thinking, but to be your guide, to be your counselor, to be directive in your life, to walk through that minefield with you. And on Palm Sunday, we trust that Jesus it is an unstoppable force, not in some kind of abstract way, but in relationship with you. That he comes to, comes to be prophet, priest, and king for you, in relationship with you, where he knows you, where he accepts you, where he forgives you, where he knows the immovable objects in your life and wants to, along with you, help to move them and push them, and nudge them, and detach them. It takes time to stop a mud volcano, but simply invite Jesus in. Begin to think and pray and hope about the unstoppable force of Jesus to be realized in your life, all of your life. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, this is a scary thought for many of us because some of the immovable objects we want there, we enjoy our patterns, we cling to the way that we live our lives, and we don't want you to upset that. We want to give a peace to you. We want to just stick our big toe in to call ourselves Christians, but not to really wrestle with the crux of what that means, that we have to change you want to change us. Father, I pray that even in those circumstances that those things wouldn't be immovable objects, that you would come in and move them and nudge them and change us for our good. Others are maybe skeptical because we've had these things in our lives, these patterns, these relationships, these fears, and they don't change. So, Father, would you give us faith? Would you help us to see how they can Would you give us a glimpse, maybe even this week, of your Good Friday, Palm Sunday, Easter power? And Lord, let us, as people who have been changed, be agents of change in others' lives. Let us have the words of Hosanna on our lips for other people. Lord, let our church be that. Lord, would you and your unstoppable force use us in the lives of others and the life of of this city and in the life of the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.